Hey everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here again with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And today I have a new friend. This is Dr. Jen Tinsman. Say hi, Jen. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited. So I have been introduced to you through the Lemur Conservation Network, and you're here to talk about a really cool lemur. But before we talk about our cool lemur, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and let us know like what kind of work you do and how you got into it? Yeah. As Ellen said, my name is Jen, and I am a conservation biologist. I'm currently based at UCLA in Los Angeles, but I did my PhD on the blue-eyed black lemur in Madagascar, and so that's what I'm really excited to talk about today. So you were like in Madagascar working with and studying these lemurs. What was that like? like? What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So I've actually been doing field work in Madagascar since 2010. I haven't been recently because it's been tough to go with the pandemic. But um, my last field season on the blue-eyed black lemurs was completely different from the other places I've been. Madagascar is a really uh, biodiverse and geographically diverse place. So there's a desert in the south, and then there's rainforest in the east and the north. And then there's this super weird dry, deciduous tropical forest in the Northwest. And that's where the blue-eyed black lemurs live. And so my last field season there, we kind of moved from rainforest out to this deciduous dry forest. And so we got to see like kind of the climate change. And we went from like uh, the main problem being leeches and like everything being too wet to not having enough sunscreen and getting really sunburnt because it was just so dry and sunny um, towards wow. the end of my field season. So yeah, it's a really diverse place and your experience is just so different based on where you go and what lemurs you're studying. Yeah. So like you'll see different lemurs like in different forests. Yeah. So there are over 100 species of lemurs in Madagascar, which is about the size of Texas for Americans uh, to compare. So that's a lot of biodiversity in a relatively small place. Um, the only other country with more primate diversity is Brazil, which is a much bigger place to give you some perspective. And Madagascar is so biodiverse because uh, it's got this like climate gradient going on with the north being more tropical and the south being uh, more seasonal. And then there's mountains in the middle that give you kind of a rain shadow. So you get these precipitation variation as well. So I know you've done episodes on other lemurs and they're in completely different climates than the ones I've been to. So hopefully this will be a little bit different. But I'm interested in how animals, uh, especially endangered species, have adapted to their local climate. And so that's why I picked these guys, because they do occur in such a unique habitat within Madagascar. Yeah, you mentioned that this is like kind of a weird forest. Is it weird in the sense that like it's just different from the areas immediately around it? It is different from the areas that are immediately around it. And before I started grad school and decided to study these guys, I didn't realize that there were deciduous forests in the tropics. So I think it's also unique and maybe something that not a lot of your listeners have heard of. But yeah, they live in this uh it's not so much uh, temperature seasonality, it's rainfall seasonality, and that kind of dictates how the blue-eyed black lemurs live. Like in the rainy season, they're having a really great time, there's a ton of fruit to eat, and in the dry season, they have to be more flexible in their diet and eat insects and leaves and whatever else they can kind of come across to get back to that rainy season where there's enough food for everybody again. Okay, so they have to kind of be a little bit more flexible, an opportunistic sort of lemur. 
Yeah. So black lemurs are, and I know this is going to sound silly, but black lemurs are a subset of brown lemurs. And that whole genus of lemurs, which is called U-lemur, they tend to be really flexible and able to alter their behavior, whether it's their diet or their home range size or where they spend their day in order to meet their nutritional requirements. So they can live in some really strange habitats like this deciduous forest that you find in Samalaza, which is the name of the region where these guys occur. When we're talking about lemurs like as a group, it's so interesting to me that there's so much like specificity, I guess, among like lemurs, because I don't know if we've touched on this before, but lemurs are endemic to Madagascar. So like you'll only find lemurs in Madagascar. And, you know, it's like you said, it's a large island, but the fact that like you'll only find them in Madagascar and then there's so much like specificity within them, like some of them are made for this type of forest, some of them are made for this type of forest. Can you maybe introduce people to like what sets a lemur apart from like monkeys, for example? Yeah. Okay. So lemurs are primates, which means that they're more closely related to humans than a lot of other animals or even mammals that you might think of like rodents or bats. Lemurs are a closer relative, but they're not monkeys. So humans are a type of monkey. All great apes are a type of monkey. Um, So you think like, you know, the apes are super closely related to us. That's like your sibling, maybe. And then monkeys are pretty closely related to the great apes, which includes humans. So those are like your cousins. And then lemurs are like the weird distant cousins that you only see when you go to a family reunion. So they're (laughs) the like most distant primates for us. There's about 70 million years of unique evolutionary history that separates monkeys, apes, and separates them from lemurs. So they've been on their own evolutionary trajectory for a really long time, basically ever since they arrived uh, to Madagascar. They've been uh, doing their own unique thing, which makes them really, really special. And yeah, like you said, Ellen, they only occur in Madagascar. There's an introduced population in the Comoros of uh, two species of brown lemur that were flexible enough to survive up there. But they really only occur in Madagascar. And that's part of why they're so threatened. We only have this one place where we can conserve them. And there's a, it's quite a difficult situation there. So Mm-hmm. With lemurs, do all lemurs have this sort of trait where they have this sort of longer, almost like a dog-shaped face? Yeah. So all lemurs um, have a snout with a wet nose, which is, it does look quite doggish. Or, you know, if you're a cat lady like me, you can say it looks a little <laughs> bit cattish. But yeah, that is a thing that separates them from more distant relatives like monkeys and apes, which have a dry nose. So yeah, that's one way to tell. But they do, uh, lemurs do have hands. They have opposable thumbs. They kind of look like tree cats, especially the ones that I study. They're about the size of a house cat, even though they only weigh like half as much as your typical house cat would. But they have these hands and these like really long, flexible tails too. So they're pretty unique, but they are relatives of monkeys and apes. Yeah. I think they're cuter. <laughs> I I mean, I my scientific opinion is that they're extremely cute. I guess we'll get into that later with the aesthetics. But <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, they're they're hard not to love. I mean, they've got those big forward facing eyes. I'm just I'm just a sucker for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's like that middle ground between having like the human features that we can like relate to and connect with, but also having those cute little puppy dog like features that we're like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, they're just they're so unique. Yeah. 
I've seen a lot of rhesus macaques. I know that they, they're frequently found in zoos and those kind of just look like the creepy babies in medieval paintings to oh, yeah. me. So I'm not <laughs> as big of a fan of them as I am of lemurs. But I, I mean, it's going to be tough for me to find an animal I like more than the lemurs that I've studied in the field. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like what it's like for you studying lemurs in the field. Are you like out watching them in the wild, like jumping around in the trees? Yeah. So I am uh, mostly a geneticist, which means that I study the genetics and genomics of lemurs. And what I do when I go to the field is I collect genetic samples from lemurs. So I don't habituate animals. I'm not out there with a field notebook writing down their behaviors. And my family hates when I talk about this at Thanksgiving dinner. But what I do is I collect non-invasive samples. And that means I collect lemur poop. The lemurs that I studied, blue-eyed black lemurs, they tend to hang out pretty high up in the canopy. And so it can be pretty dangerous to dart them if you're not uh, really, really good at darting animals. And especially some of the terrain that they occur in is really mountainous. And uh, it can be it can be quite a threat to these animals to dart them. So I'm very interested in how can we get genetic and genomic information out of non-invasive samples. Because when you dart a lemur, it's not like the movies where, you know, somebody gets hit with a tranquilizer dart and they immediately keel over. They get hit with this dart and they're like, oh my gosh, what was that? They freak out, they start running, and then the medicine and the dart takes effect. They get a little woozy and then they fall. And so you as a human on the ground have to keep up with them in order to catch them. And I, it's a lot of risk in the really mountainous terrain where you can find some of these lemurs. And I just didn't think it was a good strategy for my dissertation. So I focus on non-invasive samples um, and then figuring out laboratory methods to get genomes uh, from the lemur out of their feces. So I think it's really exciting, but it does mean that I'm just out there in the forest most of the day waiting for the lemurs to poop, which is not <laughs> the glamorous part of science at all. But the neat thing about that is that I get to study animals that aren't habituated. So I don't have to go to a field site where people have been working for years to get these animals used to the presence of humans. There's no risk to the animals that I study because they maintain their fear of people. It's not like I go out there, I habituate them, and then they're like, oh, people are great. And then some hunters come into the forest and they're in trouble. So it's a risk mitigation strategy in order to use feces, but it is a lot more work in lab uh, at the end of the day. So it was just the choice that I made, but it was, it was cool. I got to go all over the Northwest of Madagascar collecting fecal samples from lemurs out there. So I saw a bunch of different places and a bunch of different lemurs. I didn't follow just one group around, but it was a very different field experience than like you picture with Jane Goodall or some of the other famous primatologists that are out there. She maybe got off a little bit easy if she wasn't out there like wrist deep in lemur poop. <laughs> I mean, ch chips throw feces on their own. Lemurs oh. uh, don't do that, so it's 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 a different <laughs> it's a different ball game. But it's a trade off. Yeah. Primates can be stinky. It's it's one of the things we're known for. So. But I feel like if I were given like the choice between it's like oh you get to like live in Madagascar and experience like seeing all these amazing animals in their habitat, but you have to handle lemur poop. It's like, that's a small price to pay. Yeah, it was. No, it was definitely <laughs> worth the trade-off for me. And again, I was just worried about these ethical considerations of darting blue-eyed black lemurs. You know, we think, you know, there are a couple thousand of them left. You know, I never want to accidentally injure a study animal. But when you're like, oh my gosh, I can calculate what percentage of this species I've just 
harmed, that was way too much for me. Mm, Yeah, I think I relate to that choice. And then you don't have to chase them around as much, too. So it's like... Well, there, so there is a lot of chasing because they're not habituated. So as soon as they see you, they take off running and then you just have to keep up with them until hopefully they settle down. Um, and usually I, this might be too gross, but, um, uh, lemurs frequently poop after they wake up. So you wait for them to take a nap. Uh, and then you just hang out until after they wake up from their nap and then they poop and you get your samples and you're done for the day. Like clockwork. <laughs> yes. And uh, these guys uh, are the blue eyed black lemurs are it was very convenient that they're cathemeral, which is the word that we use to say that they have periods of wakefulness during the daytime and during the nighttime. So they take basically a siesta, an afternoon nap. The guys that I were studying, they take this afternoon nap. And so that was kind of like the sweet spot where you find the lemurs in the morning. You follow them around until they tire themselves out and then they take their nap and I can get my samples then. But yeah, again, it just goes back to their flexibility that they are cathemeral. So they're awake part of the day, part of the night. It gives them a bunch of different options for foraging and uh, moving around their territory. Oh, I love that. So so when we're talking about the blue-eyed black lemur, which is, a, I think, maybe one that doesn't get a lot of attention from media or pop culture. You see a lot of lemurs in like pop culture and media, and it's usually like a ringtail or like shafaka or something like that. I have yet to see a blue-eyed black lemur depicted in like a cartoon or something like that. There's probably one like in the background in Madagascar or something. <laughs> probably, yeah. I mean, they have blue eyes, which is super mm-hmm. rare. Uh in the animal world, uh, generally speaking, or at least the mammal world. Oh, is it really? I hadn't thought yeah. about that, but now I can't. Now I can't think of any others. <laughs> yeah, it's evolved a couple of times. So blue-eyed black lemurs—they have a different allele in one of the genes related to pigment. That means that they all have these blue eyes, and it's a similar gene that's involved in blue eyes in humans. But every single blue-eyed black lemur has blue eyes, which sounds really obvious now that I've said it out <laughs> loud. Uh, unlike humans, where we have a diversity of eye colors, all of them have blue eyes, and it's really cool to. Yeah, they're really cool. The males have all black fur. um, Mm -hmm. And the females have this like kind of golden reddish brown fur They're I think they're really charismatic looking. And I yeah, I don't know why. I mean, actually, ring tailed lemurs and shifakas are great. So I can see why they get all the attention. But we should just have (laughs) more attention for lemurs. And some of it should go to the blue eyed guys. They deserve a little slice of the pie. I think so. (laughs) But again, I'm biased. (laughs) I will say, so um, a while back, my friend Amy Pate, she requested that we talk about blue-eyed black lemurs, and we hadn't gotten to them until now, but she told me that they are affectionately referred to as beebles. Have you ever heard this before? Beebles? I haven't, but that's so cute. I love it. <laughs> so I guess apparently at the zoo, they would call them the beebles because it's like blue-eyed yeah. black lemur. I get it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I Well, I'm going to steal that. Thank Amy for me. So if this is your first time listening to this particular podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And the first category is effectiveness. So these are physical adaptations that the animal has to their body to let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do. This could be like gathering their food, uh, escaping from predators, you know, evasion or anything that they have that they've built into their body. Uh, what would you give the blue-eyed black lemur for effectiveness out of 10? Well, I think I'd give them a five. And that's because until 
a couple hundred years ago when the human population uh, really increased in Madagascar, I would have probably given them a 10. They're Mm. super good at moving around the canopy. Like I said, their diets are really flexible. So they're really great at getting food, no matter what the weather is, if it's a fat rainy season or a more lean dry season. They're really great at that. Uh, But the reason that I gave them a five now is because they are in increasing contact with humans and they're having a really, really hard time uh, struggling with that. They are uh, incredibly, they're really beautiful and really distinctive looking, which makes them kind of conspicuous in the canopy. And that means that people hunt them and can hunt them pretty easily. They also have trouble uh, getting in between forest fragments. So when people cut down the forest um, in Madagascar, most of the forest loss is by locals who are just cutting down forest in order to have some farmland to survive. Less of the like big agroforestry that you think of in a place like Indonesia, where they are um, cutting down the forest to plant palm oil trees. So it's mostly just like local people cutting down the forest to survive. So the forest gets really patchy because it's just, it's random. It's not sort of planned. It's just where people live is where they cut down the forest. So the lemurs end up in these really small fragments and they can't get back and forth. And so you see some breakdown in like uh, their normal social system where they might be really social and occur in like big groups of 10. You might find a fragment that only has three lemurs in it anymore. So they're struggling to adapt to a very human-driven landscape. Uh, Normally, I'd give them a 10, but I have to give them a 5 today because uh, humans are a fact of lemur life and they're really struggling, which is why we've listed them as critically endangered. Mm, Okay. So when you're looking at the blue-eyed black lemur, are humans kind of like their primary issue that they're facing is there is there sort of like are there predators that they need to worry about or like what are what's stressing a lemur out prior to humans colonizing madagascar the things that would stress a lemur out are uh, hawks tend to stress them out, not for the adult lemurs, but for the subadults and juveniles, hawks can be uh, kind of an issue. And so they do have this alarm call that they do because blue-eyed black lemurs tend to be very social. So if one lemur sees a hawk, they're going to yell and let everybody else know like, hey, look up, bad news, there's a hawk. And they also can be uh, attacked by uh, FUSA, which are not so much an issue for the blue-eyed black lemurs. In my experience, I didn't see any when I was out there. But those are sort of the big predators. And snakes are also uh, boas, um, which occur in South America and Madagascar and nowhere else. Kind of cool side snake fact, um, (laughs) uh, are also an issue for some other species of lemurs. And they've got different alarm calls because you need to look up for hawks and generally down or around for snakes or foos. So they have these different alarm calls that they use to say which one is in the area. So again, like they have these really cool adaptations to their environments. It's just that the landscape is changing too rapidly with humans for them to adapt. So humans Mm -hmm. are unfortunately their primary predators now. They're a source of protein. So it's it's really the the reason that people tend to hunt the blue-eyed black lemur is because this is an incredibly poor part of Madagascar and people just can't get enough protein in their diets. So, you know, if you give them foreign aid so that they can plant cash crops and sell those at market, they typically won't hunt lemurs because then they can get their protein somewhere else. Or even if they can ranch chickens, uh, you know, everybody loves chicken. That's an option. It's just that There are so few other options in this area for getting protein that people hunt lemurs to feed their family. Like, it's not an easy fix. The the fix is to alleviate poverty, not to, like, tell people not to hunt. Right. And that makes sense, you know, with how 
the lemurs have been there for so long, adapting to a pretty specific sort of contained environment, like with Madagascar being an island. Madagascar is a unique island. And then the blue-eyed black lemur lives in this really unique forest that's unlike anything else in Madagascar. So they just live in this incredibly confined area. We call them a micro-endemic to stress how narrow uh, the area that they naturally occur in is. Wow, that's a word I hadn't heard before, micro-endemic. Yeah, I guess when you're too endemic, we call you a (laughs) micro-endemic. So with them being so in such a small little niche of the ecosystem... Do you see this play out in any sort of like ways that their body has changed to fit this very like particular environment like that sets them apart from other lemurs? I don't know. And that's actually one of the really interesting research questions that I hope to study someday or that I hope somebody else studies someday about these lemurs, how they've adapted to this incredibly dry environment, because they do have a sister species of lemur called the black lemur. It's just the black lemur. They have brown eyes. So we just call them the black lemur that lives in the nearby rainforest. And they're super close to each other. The river that separates their habitat is uh, there's, you know, there's tree branches that connect across it. So it's not, it doesn't seem like it's so much of a barrier. And I really personally suspect without having enough data to back this up, that it's because the blue-eyed black lemur is adapted to this drier environment and the black lemur is adapted to this uh, wetter, more typical rainforest environment. But again, we need we need more data to really suss out how that happens and what those adaptations actually are. You know, it could be a, a metabolic thing that you can't really see when you look at the lemur, but they're just super efficient at processing water or something like that. We just don't know because obviously local people knew about them forever, but they were only identified by scientists in the 1980s. So they're a relatively recent addition to the species that scientists go out and study. Okay, so some opportunity there for maybe exploring like what might be making them so special. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier that their eyes are unique to them. How does like the blue color of their eye, does that seem to have any sort of effect on like their the function of their eye? Like it seems so strange to me that that would be like something that had been selected for in some way. Yeah, well, uh, we don't know exactly what drove the selection for that trait, but it's a fixed trait. And so when we say that a trait's fixed, it means that every member of a population has that one trait. So again, like blue eyes in humans is not a fixed trait because people have brown eyes, green eyes, hate yada, yada. Every single blue-eyed black lemur has this trait and it's fixed. So it could have been um, just kind of a random mutation that started in the population. It might be uh, sexually selected for. Uh, I, I doubt that it's adaptive just because you know, in humans who also have different colored eyes, there doesn't really seem to be an adaptive advantage to having one color over another. Although humans that have lighter colored eyes tend to get cataracts more. So maybe it's a slight disadvantage, which makes me think that it might be sexually selected. But it's also such a small population that it could have just been randomly fixed. Again, we don't know. There's so much to study about these guys. So yeah, if you want to study lemurs, uh, they're a great (laughs) species. (laughs) There's a lot of questions there that uh, still need to be asked. Yeah. That's really cool. Was it difficult for you while you were studying them? Was it at all difficult for you to like see them? Because I imagine with them having being covered in dark colored fur, and you're trying to see them in the trees. Was that a challenge? Like, are they camouflaged at all? Yeah, well, so they're actually they're really good at hiding. They're not terribly camouflaged, again, because the females are this like gorgeous golden color. They I mean, they stick out once you've already seen them, but they know how to 
you know, if they hear something on the ground, like a human, they are really good at hiding. Well, from a Western human, all of the Malagasy guides that I worked with were so much more competent in the forest than me. So they were really great at hiding from me. But the um, the Malagasy people that I worked with generally can find them in their habitat. But I would say that they're more of hiders uh, than they are camouflaged, again, because they have these like really majestic golden and black coats. And again, they didn't need to until humans arrived to Madagascar. So these are all just recent developments in uh, lemurs' evolutionary lives that they uh, are having trouble coping with. Mm, Sure. So that's a good, like, I think, transition into the next category that we rate our animals on, which is ingenuity. I think when we're thinking of like how animals are adapting to new environments or new situations, like the lemurs are, are now finding themselves in, this ties into like behavioral changes sometimes. Um, so ingenuity for us is how we rate behavioral adaptations that animals have that let them like solve problems that they face on a daily basis. So like using tools or how they communicate with each other or how they do things with their body to solve the problems they encounter every day. What would you give the blue-eyed black lemur for ingenuity? I think I'm going to give them a nine out of 10 just because they are so behaviorally flexible and because they have managed to thrive in this uh, really strange, hot, deciduous, dry forest relative to the black lemur, which is more confined to uh, this regular tropical rainforest that you imagine and see in movies. I think these guys have adapted to their uh, new niche uh, really spectacularly, and they've been doing a great job, unfortunately, and I knocked a point off because uh, humans are a part of the environment and they're struggling to adapt to that. But yeah, again, they're super flexible um, with their diet. So they mostly prefer to eat fruit, but they can eat all sorts of things like leaves, insects, uh, bark even if they need to to get by. They're cathemeral, so they can adjust how much of their day, and I put that in air quotes, that they spend awake during the actual daytime or in the nighttime based on human activity. It does seem like when there are humans around, they tend to spend more of their time awake at night. So I think that they're really flexible, uh, really ingenious animals. But again, uh, nobody's perfect. So I'll give them a nine out of 10. (laughs) In my experience, typically primates like do pretty well. Um, And I don't know if that's because of the human bias of being like, oh, yeah, they're doing things that we do, which that seems really clever. You know, I don't know if that's a human bias. But I think primates seem like they're they're so good at identifying like "Hmm, something's different about this. I'm gonna do something different and see if that helps. (laughs) Yeah. And I I feel like primate intelligence is um, very good at responding to changes in the environment. Uh, and lemurs, again, are pretty good at that. I mean, humans, obviously, are really great at it. But mm-hmm. uh, And I'll, I'll say that uh, blue-eyed black lemurs, I think, are even really spectacular among the lemurs because they do well in zoos. A bunch of other species, uh, like shifakas, are really hard to keep in captivity because they do have this super specific diet. Uh, the leaves that they eat are, uh, it turns out, they're pretty specific. So you can't just feed them random leaves you'd find in North America. You have to kind of cater to them. Whereas blue-eyed black lemurs tend to be really flexible, which is why you can, uh, you do tend to be able to see them in uh, AZA accredited zoos. Uh, So yeah, if you check out your local zoo, you might be able to see these guys. Is that helpful for them in terms of like conservation efforts of trying to like build up their population? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons that people say zoos are valuable is because we have uh, surplus animals where if the population is declining in the wild, then we can increase their numbers in captivity. But I don't particularly think that's the best approach to conservation because 
you've got this population in captivity that's adapting to captivity. The lemurs that survive and reproduce in zoos are ones that do well in a zoo environment. So it's not totally clear to me uh, if that population would ever be able to go back to the wild. Not to mention the fact that uh, reintroduction, especially for primates where they need like training to be uh, wild animals again is really, really expensive. And if you have a little bit of money to do conservation, what you really want to do is to conserve wild populations. Because if you conserve lemurs, it means you've conserved the forest that they live in. And hopefully it means that you're providing uh, livelihoods and an increase in well-being for the people who live near the lemurs. And so I think that's a much worthier goal. I think zoos are really great institutions for education and being inspired. Inspired, but uh, the captive population angle, I don't think is the most important function that zoos do or the best conservation strategy that we have. It's that thing that you hear about, like with charismatic sort of animals where it's like, they're kind of the flagship for like, oh, look how cute. Don't you want to help them? Okay, well, and then by helping them, you help all the other animals that live around them. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the forests of Samalaza, which again is that region in Madagascar that the fluid black lemurs from, are super biodiverse. They have all sorts of different like frogs and lizards and birds that you don't find anywhere else. But none of them have bright blue eyes and these incredibly cute, charming faces. So yeah, I think uh, using blue-eyed black lemurs as a flagship species is an incredible strategy. I think everybody should know about them and want to conserve them. I mean, oh my gosh, have like just Google them. They're so cute. Uh, I think you can tell what rating I'm going to give them on aesthetics. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, as a tool for like as a flagship tool to get people interested in conservation and for education, lemurs have such an incredible evolutionary story. I, I, I'm always happy to see them in an AZA accredited zoo. So yeah, for that component of life, I think it's good. But for conservation, like I really think we need to focus on the ground in Madagascar. Yeah. And also just like making life better for the people that live there so that they can all live together like harmoniously. Yeah, I mean, Madagascar is a former French colony. So, you know, I think we have this moral calling to make sure that the damage of colonialism doesn't continue with us. And so focusing on improving people's livelihoods, even if you're just doing it because you want to make the world a better place for lemurs, I think that has to be a priority in and of itself. Yeah, that's why I like the Lemur Conservation Network, because I think they've got a much more holistic approach than like how we used to do conservation in the 80s, where it was like, keep people out of the forest. And if they starve, oh, well, like, I, I think the approach is very different today. It's so much bigger than just lemurs. But the lemurs are like a great place to start. Yeah, I, I mean, they're how I got started. I, you know, I was initially really interested in studying animal behavior. And I was like, oh, primates have such complex behaviors. They're super interesting. I got interested in lemurs because we had a speaker who came to my undergraduate institution. And I went to Madagascar and was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much more going on here than just me picturing studying like primate behaviors. And so I switched to genetics because it turns out that I'm not nearly as good in the field as any of the like young enterprising Malagasy graduate students who are going out into the field to study behavior. So I was like, all right, what is something that I as an American can actually bring to the table? Because like navigating the forest just isn't it. And so I think, you know, having access to a genetics lab is a thing that I can bring to the table. So it's primate behavior uh, and the lemurs themselves even are just like this very small piece of a huge conservation puzzle. Yeah, definitely. In the time that you were out there working with them and studying them and watching them, you know, live their lives, can you think of any examples of like a time when a lemur, it could be a blue-eyed black lemur, it might be a different type of lemur, but when a lemur did something 
that just really struck you as like, wow, what a wild thing for that animal to do. Like any sort of thing that they did that really stuck with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll tell you a story from my uh, first field season in Madagascar, which was uh, in the South when I was studying ring-tailed lemurs, and I hadn't figured out that they have different alarm behaviors depending on if they see a hawk or a snake. Um, the lemurs that I was studying started yelling, and it's a really, it's like a spooky noise that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I'm a primate, and I know when somebody's yelling about a predator, it turns out. And so I was like... <laughs> okay, why are you guys screaming? Like, what do you see? If it's a hawk, like, fine, whatever. That's not going to bother me. But like, if it's a snake, I, you know, I'm not afraid of them, but I, I want to know about it. So I'm like looking down on the ground and, you know, I see like some trees. There's somebody's random goat that has wandered into the forest, like some leaf litter. And I'm like, I don't see anything. And they start screaming again. And I'm like, what is going on? And the goat kind of goes out of sight and they stop screaming and then the like goat wanders back over and they start screaming again. And I was like, oh my gosh, seriously, you guys, you like, you're in the trees. Like you can climb, you can jump in between tree branches. This is a goat. Like, how is this the, the thing that set you off? But I just, I love that, you know, a goat, which is an animal that does not occur natively in Madagascar. It's something that they've never seen before. They were able to like process it and be like, all right, you know what? Let's just be safe. Everybody alarm call about this random goat in the forest. Don't like that thing. <laughs> no. And I mean, it's it's like stranger danger. You know, it's good to be cautious, especially if you're a little lemur in a big forest. So I loved that they were able to like take a new stimulus in their environment and communicate to each other about it, which I think is a very uh, primate uh, way of being. So that was that was uh, one of the times when I found them incredibly charming and also ridiculous. <laughs> Classic primate. <laughs> yeah. Classic primate. Like, you know, smart, charming, ridiculous. I think it captures a lot of the primate experience, actually. Yeah. And like they're using like the vocabulary they have, right? Like yeah. scary thing on the ground. No, I mean, they even communicated to me that there was like an imminent threat. Like, I just, I, I think they're incredible. <laughs> I know you said that once like humans were around in their area, they would kind of hide, hide away. Did it seem like they were more like fearful of humans or were they kind of like curious about them or like what was their sort of relationship with the humans that you saw? Yeah. So lemurs are very responsive to the kind of humans that are around. Uh, my first field site was at Berenti Natural Reserve. It's uh, it's kind of a tourist site. So most of the humans that they encounter, I would say nearly all of the humans that they encounter there are Malagasy people who work in tourism and are there to cater to tourists or they're like tourists who are mostly foreign people like Europeans, Americans, Japanese folks with like cameras coming to take pictures of the lemurs. And so those guys are very comfortable around humans, like to the point that they'll even steal food for you. Like I lost my lunch a couple of days because I'd like turn around to put my notebook in my bag and like come back and be like, oh, my rice is gone <laughs> because they would just, they were very comfortable with humans. It, it got foraged. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got proud. Like they they outsmarted me on multiple occasions and it was great, but I would also like go home back to my tent hungry at the end of the day. So like not that great. But so that's one experience uh, at this like mostly tourist and tourism oriented site. And then the blue eyed black lemurs that I studied, they're hunted really intensively. And so they were incredibly hard to track down. They hid really well. They were super quiet, which is 
I don't think you really miss the like sounds that lemurs make to each other to communicate until they're gone. And that was one of the things that really struck me about the blue-eyed black lemurs is that they tend to be really quiet unless they think that there are absolutely no humans around and then they can get kind of chatty again. Um, so I think it goes back to their, you know, their primates. So they're super flexible and they have a lot of ingenuity to sort of respond situationally to what's going on and to what the human people that are around them use the forest for, whether it's tourism or, you know, survival hunting. Yeah. You just love to hear of like animals that are so able to figure out what's going on around them and change what they're doing and do things differently and be like, hmm, maybe we need to switch things up a little bit. Before we wrap up, I did want to take a chance to just kind of gush about how cute they are with the aesthetics section. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Can I give them an 11 out of 10? Like You totally can, yeah. They're they're like perfect. I n- no notes to these guys. Like there's just no nowhere for them to improve on aesthetics. Totally nailed it. Glorious. Yeah, and if you think blue-eyed black lemurs are cute, uh, I would also encourage you to google their sister species, the black lemur, because what they lack in blue eyes, they make up in having these like ridiculous scraggly little like lion ruffs. Uh they have like <laughs> a little mane around their faces. They're incredible. They're just I love them. I feel like it scratches that same itch as like a black cat. Oh, yeah. I feel like a gorgeous, like fluffy black cat with the like striking eyes and the contrast of the bright blue against the black really brings it home. Yeah. And they make these really, again, they're quite silly. The sounds that they make, there's like this weird, like grunting kind of pig noise that they like <laughs> through the forest to talk a to each other. Impression. I just, like, I think everything about them is just so wonderful. I can't believe I got to go out and study them in the forest. It was just such a dream come true, even though there was like mud and leeches and hardship. It was like you you look up and you see one of those guys and you're like, ah, oh, best day ever. <laughs> it makes it all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I know it was a very lucky day for me when we'd find them because so many places they are hunted out or they're really good at hiding. Um, so yeah, every day I saw a lemur was a great day when I was in Madagascar. I should have asked this earlier, but like when you say that they're hiding, and I'm thinking of them being like an arboreal sort of species that spends most of their time up in the trees. All of their time? Most of their time? Do they just hang out there most of the time? Almost all of their time. Yeah. Lemurs really, uh, with the exception of like ring-tailed lemurs, which are semi-terrestrial, almost all lemur species spend their whole lives in the treetops. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions, like injury can come down to the ground to eat clay. They get some sort of mineral out of it that they just don't get in the rest of their diet. But um, they're totally, they're basically arboreal. Uh, Most species can't survive without forest, which is why we're so concerned about deforestation with lemurs and primates in general. So if you hear about palm oil and orangutans, it's because they're arboreal. They live in the trees. They can't survive without their native forest. So yeah, they're arboreal. So when you say that they're like, they're hiding, and I'm guessing that you're meaning that they're like actively hiding. What what, what does that look like for them? Are they kind of like rolled up in a ball in the branches or something like that? Like how do they Yeah, hide? they'll roll up in a ball in the branches or they know, you know, that humans are bad news. So they'll go higher up into the canopy than they'd normally hang out. And that's that means that there's more branches and more leaves in between humans who are visual predators and the lemur themselves. But it's also that's tough for lemurs because the more time they spend hiding, the less time they spend foraging. And again, blue-eyed black lemurs do have this really tough dry season to get through. So they need to spend basically all of their waking time looking for food and eating. 
Uh, so humans hunting, even if they don't catch a lemur, do add this like other layer of like kind of chronic stress uh, to lemur existence, which is really sad. And also why I didn't want to habituate my study species, because, you know, it's months of stressing them out until they finally stop being stressed by you. It just wasn't the right choice for my uh, for this taxa to study. That makes sense. And, you know, with them being so beautiful and adorable. I wish they didn't have to hide away so that we could see them better because they're so cute and nice to look at. But I, you know, I can't fault them for looking out for themselves. So it, it would be nice if we could get a better look at them, but you can get a good look at them in a zoo if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. And you t- you totally should. Um, if you go to an AZA accredited zoo, uh, so AZA is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums in the US, and then there's the EAZA, which is the European equivalent. When they accredit a zoo, uh, part of the process means that that zoo has to give some of their ticket sales to conservation projects in places like Madagascar and the rest of the world uh, where they need some conservation help. So if you go to an AZA accredited zoo and you take a look at these lemurs, you're actually helping to conserve them while you learn about them and enjoy their beauty. Uh, So that's a great way to get to know them. Yeah. And as we're wrapping up for today, you know, another plug for the Lemur Conservation Network. If if you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, like how you got linked up with them or the conservation efforts happening on the ground in Madagascar. Yeah. So the Lemur Conservation Network is, uh, it really is a network of a bunch of different uh, nonprofits and academics and other organizations that are trying to conserve lemurs and advance the livelihoods of Malagasy people that live near lemurs. Uh, so it's a bunch of different groups and they've all come together on this under this lemur conservation network umbrella that does, you know, science communication like you're doing Ellen with this podcast and has a bunch of information on their website if you want to learn about the lemurs or about the conservation groups. Um, you can even click through and donate to some of the groups that are doing in-country conservation. I'm going to give a shout out to AEECL, which is a European group that actually does work to conserve blue-eyed black lemurs and improve the livelihoods and well-being of people in the Samalaza region of Madagascar. They've really got this kind of uh, dual focus of making sure that everything they do in the forest to help lemurs helps the local people. So they do environmental education. They build fire breaks um, because fire can be a real issue. If the forest catches on fire, it can catch people's crops on fire. They do all sorts of really good work that benefits all of the primates, uh, human and lemur that live in Madagascar. So they're one of my absolute favorites and you can find them on the Lemur Conservation Network. Yeah. So aside from work with the blue-eyed black lemurs and the lemur conservation network, is there anything that you wanted to let people know to like be on the lookout, anything you're involved with, places where people can find you if they have any questions, anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I have a website. It's jentinsman.com if you want to learn more about my lemur work or uh, chat about lemurs. I I know that for me, I was the first person in my family to go to college, and I really didn't think I'd end up uh, studying biology, let alone international conservation work and lemurs. So if you feel like you're interested in that, but you might be a little bit daunted, um, you know, go ahead and send me an email. I'd love to chat. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I I am always so pleased and thrilled with how 
welcoming people that I've spoken to within like biology sciences and things like that, like are to people who are like, I just I think I'm interested in this. And I might want to do this for my education or my career. Everyone's like, yes, let me hook you up. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's how we all get started. Like, you know, nobody is a biology wizard to start out with. Uh, It's not something you really practice in every day. Like everybody's, you know, I feel like uh, people who struggle with science forget that like, oh, you might be really good at English because you have to read every single day of your life. You don't have to do biological experiments every single day of your life. So, you know, if you're curious and if you care, like that's what you need to get started. The rest Mm -hmm. is just, you know, you sort of figure it out as you go. I mean, that's at least what I did with the lemurs. So if that's you and you want to chat, yeah, send me an email. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your time today. It has been lovely chatting with you. I feel like I have a more comprehensive knowledge of the lemurs and, you know, what their, what their context is in Madagascar. So I really appreciate you stopping by and talking with us today. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me, Ellen. Of course. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. 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 